But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the animal sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord, then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, he'll intercede for them. His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Most Americans love award shows. Uh, We look at the Oscars, the Emmys, the Grammys, Country Music Awards, MTV Awards. Uh, If we didn't like them, they wouldn't be on TV because the sponsors wouldn't pay for them. I think one of the reasons why we like award shows is because, first of all, we like to see how Hollywood's going to dress, how they're going to act, what they're going to do that's stupid, what they're going to do that's maybe uh, done well. But we like to see all of that, and it gives us a glimpse into that kind of life. But I think there's a bigger reason why we like award shows. Because you see, when our movie wins, when our song is selected, when our TV show is the one that they lift up, it just shows how bright we are, that we have taste, we have class. And I can go to work, or I can say to my spouse, or I can say to my neighbor, I told you that was a good movie. I told you that song was a good song. Now, when they don't select our movie or song, it just shows how stupid they are. It just shows how political the process is. For you see, it gives us significance when we can say to someone, I knew that movie was going to be successful, and I knew they were going to pick that. Because all of us, as we've said before, like significance. We want to be known for something. We want to be known for accomplishing something. We want to be loved. We want to be admired. We want to be respected. Now, part of that comes because we live with fear, the fear of insignificance. But part of that also comes because that's the way God has made us. That's the way God has wired us. In fact, God has said, there will come a day when he wants to recognize us. He wants to give us an award. He wants to give us rewards. And there's going to come a day 
when all of us eventually, who are followers of Christ, gather in heaven, the earth is gone, we're now in heaven, the Bible says there's going to be a major award ceremony. Now, if you think about it, when God holds that, it's going to have to be in a big, big place because there are literally going to be millions of Christians there. And so we come in, as it were, to God's amphitheater. We assume all the old men on the front must be the apostles or the reformers. And, of course, the empty seats in the back are waiting for all the people from the compass to show up. But we come and we sit, and we are here to see who's going to get an award. After a couple hours, because you know award shows are long, and this one represents eternity. After a couple hours, we're somewhat surprised. Because we realize that most of the people God has called up to honor are people we've never heard of. We didn't even know they existed. They're not written about in books. We don't make Christian movies about them. They have never been an illustration in somebody's sermon. And we realize that most of the people God is honoring are average, ordinary Christians. And so we begin to think, Well, is it possible that God might call my name? Is it possible that I might be able to walk across that stage and have the eternal God and the person of Jesus Christ say to me, I want to recognize you for what you have done. You see, we often talk about honoring God, and we should. He's done so much for us. But there's a sense in which there will be a day when God wants to honor us. Now, when God wants to honor us, what will he honor us for? What does it take to have God call us, our, call us and call our name, to walk across and to be recognized by him? To talk about that, I want to take you to the next to the last judge. You'll recall when we started this whole series on the judges, we said that period lasts for about 400 years. One of the earliest judges was the first one we talked about, a man by the name of Ehud. Now we're almost down to the end of the judges. And the next to the last judge is a man by the name of Eli. Eli has served as a priest all of his life in the tabernacle. And now it's near the end of his life. And we are told a story about Eli. Now, like all good stories, this story has contrasts. I mean, I grew up listening to stories, watching television. There were always the contrast. You know, I used to watch the cowboys and Indians. Now, politically correct, that would be the cowpersons and the Native Americans. Or we used to watch the Allies and the uh, Nazis, or we would talk in the Cold War about, you know, the East and the West. All good stories, for the most part, have a contrast. This story has two contrasts. The first contrast in the story is between children. On one side of the contrast, there's Eli's sons. Eli, as a priest, has retired from the priesthood. His sons have taken over. Eli's probably at this point in his late 80s, early 90s, and his sons are probably somewhere in their 30s or 40s, and they are the priests. The Bible says of the sons, on one side of the contrast, that they are very evil men. There are two things they are doing that is highly inappropriate for anyone, let alone a priest. In the Old Testament, when you would come to the tabernacle and you wanted to bring a sacrifice to God, 
you would pick your best animal. You would pick the best grain, whatever kind of offering it was, and you would come and give it to God. Now, if you brought a meat sacrifice, the Old Testament was very clear that portions of that animal, the good parts, the kind of thing we would talk about, the fillets, the the prime ribs, the, the, the choice chops, the prime best parts of the animal were to be put on a sacrifice, on an altar, and burned up to God as a sacrifice. The other parts of the meat, most of it was given to the priest. Sometimes some of it would come back to the offerer, but most of it was given to the priest. And the priest would take that meat and eat it, barter it, and it was one of the ways that the priests made a living. Now apparently, Eli's sons were tired of eating the same kind of meat time after time after time. And they saw the choice pieces constantly being burned up and offered as a sacrifice to God. And the Bible tells us that they began to take those portions of meat and they would take them home and eat them. And if the offerer complained, they would gather their henchmen around that person and say, we'll take it by force. If, 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 if you're not going to be the kind of person who's going to go along, we'll force you to do it. And so they took those portions of meat that they shouldn't have, and they took them home. Now, it was interesting, Eli, who had been a good priest, he confronted his sons. He said, you know, it's one thing if you rob from another person, because then you have the threat of what that person might do to you. But you are robbing from God. You're taking that which is to be given to him, and you're taking it for yourself. You're in a very dangerous position. So the first thing the sons did that were evil was that they basically robbed God's sacrifices. The second thing they did that was evil, even though they were married men, there were many young women who would come and serve in the tabernacle, often during the, doing those supportive administrative tasks. And the Bible says they would seduce them and sleep with them and commit adultery. And even though their father rebuked them, they continued that behavior. So on one side of the contrast, you have the sons of Eli. On the other side of the contrast, you have a young boy by the name of Samuel who will turn out to be the last judge. Now, many of you, if you've been in church on Mother's Day, you've heard a sermon about Samuel. You've learned how his mother, Hannah, couldn't have a child. And she came to the tabernacle and prayed and said, God, if you give me a son, I will give that son back to you. Well, God had answered that prayer. In fact, God had used Eli as a priest to tell Hannah she would have that boy. She took Samuel when he was weaned and gave him back to God. And Samuel lived in the tabernacle with Eli as his surrogate father. And the Bible says Samuel did what God wanted. Samuel was learning. Samuel was obeying. And so you have the good child, Samuel, contrasted with the evil children, the sons of Eli, even though they're grown men. And that's the first contrast. But I would suggest that that's not the major contrast. The major contrast is between the parents, between Eli, who is the father of his sons, and then Hannah and Elkanah, her husband, who are the parents of Samuel. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. If we've got a contrast, which one's evil? And I would suggest to you that in this story, the evil one is Eli. 
Now, Eli was a judge. Eli was a good priest. Eli never robbed God of the sacrifices. Eli was used as a prophet to say to Hannah, you will have a baby. Well, you might say, well, if all that's true, what did Eli do that was wrong? Well, the Bible tells us that when his sons would bring those choice selections of meat home, and they would be sitting there on the platter to have dinner at night, that Eli, even though he knew where they had come from, would take those pieces of meat and he would eat them. In fact, a prophet shows up to condemn Eli and his sons. I want you to notice what the prophet says. He says, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. You see, God says, Eli, even though you've been a good priest, when you reached over, and you took that meat, and you ate it. You honored your sons and their behavior, and in the process, you dishonored me. So Eli, there is no award for you. There will be no recognition for you, because you honored your sons above me. Now, as we sit here this weekend, we may be thinking, well, (laughs) that's not my problem. I'm not a priest. We don't deal with sacrifices. We don't deal with meat. But I would suggest to you that the principle of honoring people above God is as much a temptation for us as it was for Eli. Let me talk about the two times that I can at least think of as a parent where I honored my children above God. For a number of years, I taught at a Bible college. When you teach at a Bible college, most Bible colleges don't pay well, and so we lived on a very limited income. Oh, we had a car and a house and clothes and food on the table. But there wasn't much money for extras. And as our children came along, I always wanted to make sure that our children had a good Christmas. I didn't want them to grow up and say later, you know, Dad was in the ministry and Christmas was always terrible. So Christmas time would come, and my wife and I would go out and we'd spend all kinds of money making sure that the children had lots of presents. Now, their grandparents, who lived 1,500 miles away, uh, they were getting older and getting closer to heaven, so they were getting nicer. And they used to send all kinds of presents along to our children. And so on Christmas morning, when our children would come down, There around the tree were just packages after packages after packages. And one year, my son must have been about eight. His little sister was about four. And they had finished opening all the packages. I mean, there is paper all over. There are toys. Some toys are probably already broken. It's just laying all across the floor. And my son comes over to me. And he says, Dad, is that all there is? And his little sister, cute, nice, says, yeah, Dad, is that all there is? Now, I must admit my first thought was Bill Cosby's. You know, I brought you into this world. 
I can take you out. But the second thought was, you ungrateful wretches, don't you know what your mother and I have gone through so you can have a nice Christmas? But about two weeks later, the Spirit of God said to me, Paul, do you realize that every Christmas, you and your wife violate all you believe the Bible teaches about debt, credit, living beyond your means in order so your children can have a good Christmas. And it takes six months to pay off all the debt from the previous Christmas before you start for the next Christmas. And it dawned on me that we were honoring our children above God. When my son was born, he weighed over eight pounds. I was pretty impressed as a father. His mother wasn't as enthusiastic about it. And I remember when they wheeled him out, because in those days, fathers didn't go into the labor room. We sat around with the other fathers and waited, and they wheeled him out in this bassinet. Here's this big kid. And I remember, literally, the first thought I have is, i got to feed him for 18 years. But the second thought was, I see him hitting home runs. I see him throwing touchdown passes. I see him scoring winning baskets. And I couldn't wait for the day my son said, I want to play sports. And finally the day came. And he said, Dad, I want to play Little League. So we went out and we got the gloves and the cleats and bats and all the stuff that goes with it. And I determined I was not going to be a typical Little League parent. I'd just go, keep my mouth shut, watch practice, watch games. I just wanted to see my son play sports. Now, if you know anything about Little League, it starts early in the spring so that they can end early in the summer to have the tournament. And as a result, you often have a number of rainouts. Well, his team was fighting for the championship. They had had some rainouts early in the season. And one night we're driving to practice. I'm taking my son. And I said to him, you're probably going to have some makeup games. Now, you need to know, whenever the game is, we'll get you there. However, our church, which at that time had five different services on a Sunday, our service was the 10 o'clock service. So I said, we'll have you at any game as long as it's not 10 o'clock Sunday morning. If it's 10 o'clock Sunday morning, you need to be in church because that's when we worship as a family. Of course, he didn't care. He just said, whatever, Dad, and we take him to the game, sport, to the practice. Practice is over. The coach lines them all up in the dugout. He said, as you know, we're fighting for the championship, and our first makeup game is 10 o'clock this Sunday morning. How many can be there? Eight boys raised their hand. Now, if you know anything about baseball, it requires nine to start the game. Or it's a forfeit. And there's about four boys, including my son, who's not raising their hands. And so the coach begins to quiz each one of them why they're not going to be there. Well, we're going to be on vacation. We're going to the mountains. We're going to the beach, whatever. My son, who's at the end, is the last one. And the coach looks at him and says, why aren't you going to be here? And my son says, church. And the coach says, what? The coach says, what do you say? He says, I have to go to church. And the coach loses it. And just tears into him. Don't you realize? You're going to be here. You're going to be in town. You're not going to be out. We're going to lose the game. We're going to lose the championship. Don't you care about the team? Now, I'm across the fence watching this. 
I got two strong emotions. One emotion is I just want to do something to coach. And the second emotion, I'm feeling sorry for my son. And so I got his eye and I said, come here. And he walked across and I whispered in his ear, tell the coach you'll play. And as soon as he walked around, turned around, walked back, I knew I had made a mistake because I had honored my son above our commitment to God that I had just taken in the car. You know, as I move across the country, work with churches and pastors, I have pastor after pastor after pastor say, Paul, you know, we always know in our community when Little League starts. We always know when soccer leagues start. We always know when athletics for kids start because church attendance on those Sundays just plummets. It's interesting to me. Also, as I work with churches, I hear parents say, why is it when my child is 18, they drop out of church because they're dropping out like flies? I think part of it comes is that while they've been growing up, we've been teaching them that they their desires are more important than God's. And we've honored our children above God. But I don't think this is just a child issue. I've come to realize that on Mother's Day, probably a quarter of the women don't want to honor their mother. Even the ones sitting in church. That Mother's Day is a difficult day for many of them because all while they were growing up their father abused them sometimes sexually other times just with beatings and violence whatever it is and their mother did nothing to protect her husband and in the process honored her husband above what God wanted her to be to her children You see, when our boss asks us to do that which violates our ethics, our values, when the school says you're to teach things you really don't believe as a Christian, it's amazing how often we honor people above God. Now, that's one side of the contrast. But there's the other side. There's hope. In those days, children were weaned when they were about three or four. So most believe that Samuel lived with Hannah, his mother, and Alcana, his father, until he was about three or four, and then he was weaned. And there was probably that day when Hannah came and said, Samuel, I don't know if you remember, but last year, you know, that we made that pilgrimage up to the tabernacle. We go every year, and you got to play with all the children, and you got to be with all the people. Maybe Samuel remembers, but he's excited because he's going to see a bunch of other kids. And so they get with the other people, they caravan up to the tabernacle. They're there for a week or two, celebrating, eating. The adults are in meetings, but the kids are playing. It's a great time for Samuel. And then one night, Hannah comes and says, Samuel, tomorrow, your dad and I are going home. Samuel says, oh, good, I I can't wait to get home. His mother says, no, 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 no. You're not going home. What do you mean I'm not going home? You're going home. Yeah, we're going home. But you're not going, why aren't I going? Why not, Mom? Well, 
You see, I made this commitment to God. I told him that if he would give you to me, I'd give you back to him. Well, I, I don't want to stay here. Who am I going to stay with? Well, you know that kind of fat old man that has meat on his breath? You're to stay with him. I don't want to stay with him. The next morning, Eli is hanging on to Samuel for all he's worth. He's screaming at the top of his lungs. And Hannah and Elkanah are walking away, tears in their eyes, leaving their child behind because of the commitment they had made to God. A year goes by. Hannah comes back to the tabernacle. There's Samuel playing in the dirt with some other kids. He's grown. She can't believe it. I mean, this is not a day when you had pictures. He has to be reintroduced to his mother. And during that week or so, the bonds are reattached. And Hannah comes and says, your dad and I are going home tomorrow. Well, surely I'm going home with you this time. No, you're staying with Eli. The same scene the next morning. Eli hanging on to Samuel. Mac Davis is in the background singing, Mommy, don't you walk too fast. And they walk away. And year after year after year after year, Samuel watched as his mother and father honored their commitment to God above their son. The Bible says, and God blessed them gave them a whole bunch more children because of that commitment. When I was growing up, my mother had never learned to drive a car. So that meant if we were going to go anywhere as a family, my father had to be there. And my father was, had been a farmer. He was basically a railroad clerk by the time I came along. But when my father made a commitment to the church, he kept it. Our church had bought three really old school buses. Now, this was before churches even did busing. Just to go out into the rural community around our town and pick up children and bring them to church. And my father had said, I'll take responsibility to make sure every Sunday morning the buses are running. Now, my father wasn't a mechanic. So that meant every Saturday he'd go over to the church, get the first bus, take it down to the service station, have them do whatever. Take it back, get the next bus. Go take it back, get the third bus. Now, some Saturdays, he was only going an hour. But if there were problems with the buses, and because they were old, there were always problems with the buses. He was often gone three hours, five hours, eight hours. And I can remember the days that we didn't go on picnics. We didn't go to the beach. I had to walk to Little League practice because my father was with the buses. And I'd come to church on Sunday. I had this little penknife in my pocket. I used to think, I wish it would slash the tires. I hate those buses. But I came to realize that when my father made a commitment to God, that commitment took precedence over everything else. As we were growing up, there was a girl in our youth group. Her parents had some money and they lived out of town, had a big nursery there that sold uh, trees and shrubs to all kinds of landscapers. They weren't believers, but they would bring her to church every Sunday, bring her to youth group. She's a very bright girl, studied hard. And her parents wanted her to go to this major university. But she said, 
I need to go to a Christian college. In fact, she came, went to a college near here, Wheaton. Parents didn't want her to. But she was convinced that's what God wanted. Went back hometown, married her boyhood sweetheart. They had two boys, and soon after the second boy was born, her husband passed away suddenly. And yet every Sunday, she brought the boys to church, raised them as believers. Today is a full-time volunteer with a Christian organization. Because when she made a commitment to God, that took precedence over her parents, over her sons, over her own desires. You see, God honors those who honor him above others. I mentioned my son was quite large when he was born. He's always been a big boy. And when he was 17, he was about 6'5 and had been lifting weights. Pretty solid kid. He came home at the end of his junior year and he put two words in a sentence. No parent ever wants to hear. The first word is party. And the second word was Boulder, Colorado. Now, if you're not familiar with Boulder, it's been in the news recently with flooding, but if you're not, it's the party school. All the nuts and flakes that didn't make it to California in the 60s ended up in Boulder. And there was a girl in his class who was having a birthday. And her parents, I can't believe this, even to this day, had rented a dorm for the entire night so she could have her whole class up for a party. My son wanted to go. So we negotiated. Finally, I said, you leave there at, noon, at midnight. It takes an hour to get back. We'll expect you home at 1 o'clock. So his two buddies came by. He hopped in their car, and they went to Boulder. At 1 o'clock, I'm trying to get to sleep, and his wife, my, my wife is by the window giving traffic reports. And she's saying, no, I think that's their car. No, that's their car. No, this is their car. 115. 1.30, 1.45. Finally, about 2 o'clock, she says, it's the car. She said, it stopped across the street. They're getting out. They're throwing up. Then the car's coming in the driveway. The front door opens. Three sets of footsteps come in, go down into the basement where my son's bedroom was. About five minutes later, my son comes bounding up the steps. I said, well, Jeff, you want to tell me about it? He says, yeah, Dad, it was midnight. I knew I needed to leave. I went to find both of my friends. Both of them were almost passed out drunk on the floor. I said, I'm going home. I told my parents I'd leave here at midnight. And they said, well, we're not leaving. So he said, well, I'm taking your car. And this one kid said, no, you're not. And he said, well, if you're going to go, I'll drive. And my son said, no, you're not. And he said, Dad, I literally had to pick him up one at a time, take him out to the car, throw him in the back seat. Got the keys. I started home. He said, we had to stop two or three times so they could throw up. He said, do you care if they sleep it off in the basement tonight? I said, no, son. That's okay. As he turned around and walked down the hall to go to sleep that night, he didn't know it. But if he had asked me for $100 that night, I'd have given it to him. Because at that party, he honored his parents above his friends. God wants to honor you, and God wants to honor me. And the way we get that recognition is when we honor God above people.
Our God, thank you for telling us this story through the life of Eli, the judge, the lives of Hannah and Elkanah. Help us to be women and men who take seriously the commandment to put you first and not only to honor you above our own desires, but when it's needed to honor you above people. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.